Good morning. If you haven't met me before, <laughs> my name is Mary and I'm on the staff team here at Hope. Um, a little fact about me, uh, I came to faith in this community, in this building, about 15 years ago now. Um, so the fact that I am standing up here 15 years later talking to you means God is doing something because I'm definitely not doing it through my own strength. <laughs> um, so yeah, with him we can do anything. Um, Anna has prayed for me, but I also wanted to open in prayer. So if you would just let me do that. Father God, thank you for the lives that you have blessed us with. Thank you for the opportunities that we have been given and for the strength that you give us to make the most of them. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit will be at work in this place this morning, that you give us all open hearts and minds to receive your word. May we be transformed into your likeness, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. So, if you have been following our sermon series, either in person here on a Sunday morning or catching up online, you will know that since the beginning of January, we have been working our way through the gospel according to Luke. And if you haven't had a chance to catch up or hear them, I highly recommend that you do so. They're on the website and on Spotify. Matt provided me with my reading this morning back in December. I only wrote the preach this week, but he gave it to me back in December. Um, and I'm not going to lie, I was a little bit nervous, a little bit apprehensive, because it is a story that is so well known. Um, and I wondered what I would have, what I could offer it. Um, in preparation, I read and I listened to the chapter multiple times in multiple different versions. Um, hoping that something would strike me, but I soon realized that it wasn't about me, it was about God. And my goodness, did he bless me with people <laughs> that could I could talk this through with, um, that I could moan to when I didn't know what I was doing. Um, and I just want to say thank you to some of the people that are in this room for me. For example, my Wednesday morning midweek group, um, they have helped me process this out loud. So if I say anything that doesn't make sense, I'm going to blame them. <laughs> I won't name who they are, but you can find out by checking the website. So I know you're now probably on tenderhooks. You're like, oh, what is Mary going to talk about? It's so well known. Um, so the, today, the chapter that I was given and the verses, what I'm going to come from, um, are from The Last Supper. Now, The Last Supper is probably one of the most well-known events recorded in the Bible from Jesus' life. Um, and the writings are a description of the last meal that Jesus had with his 12 disciples on what we now call Maundy Thursday. That's my Maundy Thursday plug. Join us for dinner. Um, Maundy Thursday back then was known as the day of unleavened bread, the day that the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed, the day before Jesus himself was arrested and crucified. And this morning, we're going to look at some of that chapter together. But we are not going to focus on the meal. So I just want to give you a little recap of the chapter before I read my verses this morning. In the book of Luke, chapter 22, it reads that Jesus had sent Peter and John, two brothers, to the city of Jerusalem to make preparations for the Passover meal. He had told them that a man carrying a jar of water would meet them and take them to a house. And at that house, they should inform the owner that the teacher had sent them 
and he will show them to a large upper room to set up. On arrival, they found the things just as Jesus had said, and they made their preparations. Not long later, Jesus and his disciples all sat around this table, partaking in the Passover meal together. And I'm sure many of you have seen the mural that Leonardo da Vinci depicted of the scene, so you can imagine what it kind of looked like. And during this meal, Jesus breaks bread, and he drinks wine with the disciples for the very last time. And he says to them that he will not eat or drink again until the kingdom of God comes. I have some notes in here that I've crossed through, but I'm going to share them. I also said this is where the Eucharist communion was established, which we should have been sharing this morning, but unfortunately Matt is unwell, so do pray for him. Now, I know I've paraphrased a little bit and I've overskipped the meal quite quickly, but, and I'd love to talk that through more with other people if they want to. Our Wednesday morning group is willing to have anybody we like to, to look at these things in detail. Um, but I want to focus on some verses that I think may be slightly overlooked. Um, and I know that I definitely haven't given them the attention, I guess, that they need. So this morning I'm going to read from Luke chapter 22. Chapter 22. But I'm going to read verses 23 to 30. At this point, Jesus has just shared communion with his disciples, and he has told them that one of them at the table is going to betray him. I'm actually just going to read from up here rather than get my Bible down. So they say, They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table, but I am among you as the one who serves? You are those who have stood by me in my trials. And I confer on you a kingdom just as my father conferred one on me. So that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Matt provided, like I said, each preacher back in December with a chapter and a title for each of your talks. You could change it if you wanted to. But my title was The Servant Leader. Obviously, I was not going to change that. (laughs) Having read the passage and read this section specifically, I knew that this is what I wanted to talk about this morning. However, you may have noticed that I also chose to include verse 23. Verse 23 read, They began to question among themselves which one of them it might be who would do this. This was in regards to who may betray Jesus. And the reason I included this verse is because I found it interesting the differences in the disciples from this verse, 23, into verse 24 when they start to argue quite interesting. They go from having a discussion between themselves about who would do such a thing, who would betray Jesus, to then arguing between themselves about which one of them is the greatest. And I wonder what made that conversation shift. I wonder if, because Jesus has told them in no uncertain terms that this is his last meal that he would share with them until the kingdom comes, did the disciples think that whoever was greatest at the time the kingdom comes, 
that they would be the greatest in the kingdom. Now, I don't know the answer to this, but I think it could be interesting to think about a little bit more. Now, this wasn't the first time that the disciples had argued about who was the greatest. Back in Luke chapter 9, we hear that Jesus has healed a demon-possessed boy. And whilst everyone is marveling at what Jesus did, Jesus tells the disciples that he's going to die for a second time. He says to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. Again, the disciples at that point did not truly understand what he meant. It actually says in the verse, it was hidden from them so that they did not grasp it and that they were afraid to ask him about it. So instead, I think, probably from a place of fear, they again began to argue about who is the greatest. They know that this man, the greatest man, Jesus, will no longer be present with them. They don't know about the resurrection yet. (laughs) They they know he's no longer going to be present with them. So they are worried and they are arguing through fear. Jesus responds and he says to them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one who is least among you who is also the greatest. Back then, a child was considered to be the least important in the eyes of society. Yet Jesus showed to honour the one society paid the least attention to. Now we're here, back in Luke chapter 22, verse 24. And we find that a dispute again has arose amongst the disciples about yet the same thing. Who is the greatest? And I wonder how Jesus felt in this moment. He had spent three years of his life pouring teaching into these men. And now in the final hours, literally the final hours of his life, they argue yet again about which one of them is the greatest. But this time, though, Jesus doesn't point to a child as a way of explanation, but to himself. He uses this moment to describe the difference between the greatness in the world versus the greatness in the kingdom of God. In verse 25 and 26, Jesus says this to them. He says, The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. So I looked up the word benefactors, and the word benefactors means a person who gives money or other help to a person or cause, which sounds pretty reasonable to me. I'm like, yeah, that's nice. But actually, benefactors... Also, is because it's really about the idea of getting the credit for it. Many people only serve if they are assured of getting credit or acknowledgement. And the kings of the Gentiles, and those any, back then anyone exercising authority, wanted to be seen as helpful or generous, even though they weren't. Um, and Jesus is saying to the, the disciples that they should not be like this, and instead that they should serve one another. Jesus then goes on to say, for who is greater? The one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. Jesus clearly tells us that the true greatness is in serving more than being served. I'm going to be a little bit political, so please forgive me. Um, But I'm thinking about the leaders in our country at the moment. Specifically, the reason why I'm thinking about this, and I've been thinking about this week, is because of the strikes that have happened. Um, So it's at the forefront of my mind. 
But I wonder if the CEO of the NHS or the Secretary of, Secretary of State for Education took two days off of work this week, would we have noticed? Would we have missed them? Unless you directly work with them, I apologise. Um, but our teachers, our student doctors, and many more did indeed take two days off of work this week, unpaid. <laughs> and we definitely noticed. And this is because the people who are great in our lives are really servants. And Jesus is trying to make the disciples, and us even now, see that. Before I continue, I want to be honest with you all a little bit. I want to talk about what a servant leader looks like, how to be one. But having read this passage numerous times and prepared myself to talk to you today, I soon realized that I have an awful lot of work to do on myself. Um, I pride myself on serving people. It's who I am, and it's what I hope I do, and I hope I do it well. But I know, I know that I worry a lot about what you all think of me. Even when I was writing this, I'm like, oh, I'm going to say the wrong thing. Somebody's going to get up and leave. It's like my worst fear. Um, because I want people to be proud of me. And being proud, is, that's okay. But it's not the same as feeling pride. Pride can create an inflated feeling of ourselves. It can make us think that we're great. And maybe I do that a little bit. And yes, I've done great things. I've done great things. Doesn't make me great. The disciples did great things. I'm sure all of you in this room have do great things and so continue to do great things. Um, but that does not make us great. The truth is, and we all know it, that Jesus is the greatest. So please know that I am preaching more to myself than anybody else this morning. So how can we, I, be more like Jesus? And how can I, we, be more like the true servant leader himself? I did a quick Google search. You know, we all love Google. Did a quick Google search of the term servant leader this week. And it said this. It said, servant leadership puts the needs, growth, and well-being of followers first. So servant leadership puts the needs, growth, and well-being of followers first. Does that not sound like the perfect explanation of who Jesus was? Jesus lived his life engaging with people by serving them in such a way that their encounters with him changed their lives for the better. He quite literally dedicated his life to setting others free. And he would never ask anyone to do something that he wouldn't do himself. Is there anyone in your life, in your lives, or have some, maybe they're not here. Some I've jumped forward a little bit there. But is there anybody in your life who has anybody who's been in your life that you would think of as a servant leader? Thinking of those qualities. When I was writing this, um, and probably because it's Mother's Day, but I was thinking a lot about my own mum. My mum died three years ago this week. So still, it's still tough. But reading this really reminded me of her in such a positive way. My mum was a teaching assistant. She worked just down the road on Upper Street. Um, but she regularly did the work of the teacher. <laughs> um, she always put everybody's needs above her own. She encouraged me more than I ever realised. <laughs> and she cares so much about me and my siblings and her grandchildren. Actually, probably people in this room. She probably cared about us, her, us more than herself. 
Um, and of course, she was my mum. It was her responsibility. But it was also a choice, a choice that she made daily. And she was never a proud woman. She was humble, full of humility, and served without even realising it. Um, she would show up here. She would help with a spear fundraiser. She was here for our Christmas carols. I'm sure if she was here now, she'd be sat on the front row encouraging me and building me up. Um, but she always got involved in some way in the church, despite not being a woman of faith. She, over here, she engaged with people by serving them in such a way that their encounters with her changed their lives for the better, just like Jesus did. Not saying my mum was like Jesus. I'm hoping she's with him now, but I hope you understand where I'm coming from. I probably don't have time for this, but I'm going to mention it anyway because I spoke about my mum and it is Mother's Day. But I also want to mention another story in the Bible. Um, I didn't know about this story until Wednesday with my group on Wednesday. Um, and Jenny kindly mentioned the Sons of Thunder. And I need to read the Bible more, but I didn't know what the Sons of Thunder or who the Sons of Thunder were. So we looked it up and we looked through the Bible together. Um, and we came to this chapter and I got really excited. I was like, thank you, Jenny, so much, because it really confirmed to me that God wanted me to tell you what I'm telling you this morning. And the passage was literally another time when the disciples were arguing about who was the greatest. Um, it was in Matthew chapter 20, and this is before the Last Supper. And it's what I found very exciting, it probably wasn't exciting, was that the title, the chapter, every chapter has a title in the Bible, and the title was A Mother's Request. And I was like, oh, Jenny, you are great. Um, and in this, it tells us about the mothers of James and John, two of Jesus' closest disciples. Um, and just after Jesus had predicted his death for the third time, James and John's mother comes to Jesus, and she kneels down, and she says to them, Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. So even James and John's mum were concerned about greatness. She wanted her sons to be by Jesus' side. And do read this chapter yourself, because I got excited by it. But if you have the chance to do, it, do that. But I want to highlight Jesus' response even back then. Again, he said, Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be sorry, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus clearly continued to repeatedly try and teach the disciples a way of thinking that recognizes the kingdom of God's call on their lives, like to serve and not to be served. And he wanted to prepare them for what was coming. I want to finish by looking at the last two couple of verses that we read this morning, verses 28 to 30. These two verses read, You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom just as my father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Here Jesus is telling his disciples, that they have stood by him through think of in, and that they will be granted a place to eat and drink in the kingdom of God. But he has clearly instructed them multiple times to give up their idea of position and power because they will not get it the way that they want. If they want to be at his table in his kingdom, they must be ready to give up first place, just as the Son of Man did. 
Jesus was the ultimate servant leader. It was not the disciples' accomplishments, the great things that they did that gained them a place in the kingdom. It was Jesus. It was their relationships with him and their understanding that those who want greatness should seek the role of a servant. So I want to repeat that for us today. Jesus is the ultimate servant leader. It is not our accomplishments, the great things that we do that will gain us a place in the kingdom. It is Jesus. It is our relationship with him and our understanding that those who want greatness should seek the role of a servant. The disciples were told that they must choose to serve and to not be served. And we must do the same. So the question I want to leave you all with this morning is what does that look like for you? What does servant leadership look and feel like for you?